Well, we believe in the inerrancy, the inspiration, the infallibility of God's Word, which is why we say every week, open your Bibles again, and this week it's to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're at a transition point in the book of Ephesians that we're going to enjoy together, and that is all built on the word therefore in verse 25. For the better part of the chapter, he said, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. No, no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, and the way you do that is three simple steps, verses 22, 23, and 24. You lay aside the old you, you think rightly about God, about life, about change, and you put on the new you. Very simple process for change. Then beginning in therefore of verse 25, he starts to get practical and he tells us exactly what that looks like. So let's pick it up. I want to read the whole context for you, the paragraph beginning in verse 25. Then this section extends down to the second verse of chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore... Laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has a need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Today we'll be isolating our attention on that first command, that first imperative in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Among Aesop's fables is a legendary tale with which almost everyone is familiar. In fact, we use it almost as a catchphrase about the boy who cried, wolf. Let me read it to you. It's just a short little paragraph in Aesop's fable. I'm sure you know it, but hear it fresh. Aesop writes, There was once a shepherd boy who was bored as he sat on the hillside watching the village sheep. To amuse himself, he took a great breath and sang out, Wolf! Wolf! The wolf is chasing the sheep! The villagers came running up the hill to help the boy drive the wolf away. But when they arrived at the top of the hill, 
they found no wolf. The boy laughed at the sight of their angry faces. Don't cry wolf, shepherd boy, the villager said, when there is no wolf. Then they went grumbling back down the hill. Later, the boy sang out again, wolf, wolf, the wolf is chasing the sheep. To his naughty delight, he watched the villagers run up the hill to help him drive the wolf away again. When the villagers saw no wolf, they sternly said, save your frightened song for when there really is something wrong. Don't cry wolf when there is no wolf. But the boy just grinned and watched them go grumbling down the hill once more. Later, he saw a real wolf. It was prowling about his flock and alarmed. He leapt to his feet and sang out as loudly as he could, Wolf! Wolf! But the villagers thought he was trying to fool them again. So they did not come. At sunset... Everyone wondered why the shepherd boy had not returned to the village with their sheep. And they went up the hill to find the boy, and they found him weeping. There really was a wolf here. The flock has scattered. I cried out, wolf, why didn't you come? An old man tried to comfort the boy as they walked back down the hill to the village. We'll help you look for the lost sheep in the morning, he said. And putting his arm around the youth, he told him, nobody believes a liar even when he's telling the truth. Everyone knows that story talk about crying wolf and don't cry wolf and the boy who cried wolf. What's this about? Well, Aesop has successfully illustrated in this simple paragraph the reality that a person's character, his or her trustworthiness, is generated by truth-telling and lost by lying. Deception and lying are among the most misunderstood overlooked and pervasive parts of human experience. I mean, think about it. Think about it for a moment. We live in a world of deception from evaluating the content of almost every politician on every given day, in any given speech, to buying a bag of chips 10 inches top to the bottom only to open it and find three inches of chips. Deception is all around us. We come to this transition, as I said in chapter 4 of our study of Ephesians, where Paul has been stressing over and over and over, based on what we know of the gospel and know of Christ and know of our faith in Him and moving into the so what of chapter 4, that if you have believed the gospel if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, 
then you will, not you might, you will experience a transformation. A conversion, not just of your soul from death to life, from unsaved to saved, but your, your, your life will change because your thinking changes. His point is that believers are changed and called to change. Think about that. We are changed, we have been changed, and yet we are called to change. And the language of Ephesians 4 is that believers are to lay aside intentionally, lay aside, put off, take off the old man, the old woman, the old you, the old self. Lay it aside, take it off. That's the old way of thinking, the old way of living, the old way of behaving, the old value system. Lay it aside, take it off, and then put on the new you, the new self, the new man, the new woman in Christ. Be a new person because of the gospel. Beginning in verse 25, the apostle now gets very specific Gives us some specific so what's. So what does this mean? How do I do that? And as my grandmom used to say, Paul's about to get in our kitchen. Or she also used to say, he's going to start meddling. He is going to tap us on the proverbial chest on our sternum and say, this is what it means to lay aside the old and to put on the new. And if I can give you just a breakdown of the, of the grammar and, and of the structure of this, I think it's important and we'll highlight this in the next few weeks. From verse 25 all the way through five, chapter 5, verse 2, there's a series of five moral exhortations and then a summary call to walk in love that sums up all of them. Included in each of these first four exhortations, there's three parts. Jettison a particular sin, replace that sin with a corresponding godly virtue, and then he gives us a reason for that injunction. Take off, put on, here's why. Pretty simple. He changes up the order in those three, but they all contain those three reasons. Just genius, theological brilliance and genius. Then, after those four moral exhortations, he changes the pattern a bit, and he calls for the elimination of five sins and the pursuit of three virtues. I mean, look at how he changes it up there in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with you along with all malice. Then he says, put on these Christ-like characteristics that are ours in the gospel. And then last... He launches into an imitation exhortation. Imitate God, and you see this Trinity coordination there. Imitate God, walk in love just as Christ. Imitate God, live like Christ, which are one and the same. So in this section, he's going to tell us how to cultivate a life of integrity. He's going to tell us how to live with righteous anger and not unrighteous anger, how to cultivate a generous work ethic, how to cultivate gracious communication, how to cultivate a Christ-like heart and disposition, and how to walk in sacrificial love. We are about to study what it means to be holy and sanctified. This is Christian Living 101 in the next month. 
And today we're going to give our attention to this first exhortation in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Not much, not much complicated here. I got out my Greek New Testament, I translated this, and this is what it said. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Not much complicated at all. Don't lie to one another. Tell the truth instead because we have a shared relationship with each other. Pretty simple, right? Haven't you found that simple doesn't always mean easy? This is a call to a life of integrity. Telling the truth and not telling lies means you have integrity. So let's break it down into the three simple points that Paul outlines for us. Three simple commitments for a life of integrity. Three simple commitments for a life of integrity. That first commitment is in the first phrase of verse 25. Forsake all falsehoods. Forsake all falsehoods. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood. Therefore, picks up all the way back to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in verse 1 of chapter 4. Don't walk as the Gentiles work and walk in verse 17 and following. And then the three-step process of put off, think right, so that you put on in verses 22, 23, and 24. Therefore, based on the fact that God calls you to lay aside, calls you to put on, calls you to be a new you, therefore, and now he tells us how. First of all, have a life of integrity. What does that mean? Well, forsake all falsehoods. Forsake all falsehoods. Laying aside falsehood, taking it off, putting it off. Now, let me, can I just first tell you that he, by saying laying aside all falsehood, he assumes all of us lie. All of us have some measures of falsehood, of a lack of integrity in our life. He doesn't say, okay, everybody who struggles with lying, line up over here. I'm going to talk to you for a minute. He tells the whole Ephesian congregation, therefore laying aside all falsehood. He just assumes that all of us have lapses in our integrity that, us, that assume some falsehood. Now, let's begin with some obvious disclaimers. And let me just say also, we could talk about the outliers and the nuances and the, the ethical dimensions of very gray areas for the rest of the time and for weeks. But those are usually distractions that we give to get our mind off the main issue of what we see in our life. If you want to talk about the ethics of, you know, uh, whether you should hide a Jew in Nazi Germany, we can talk about that, but you're probably not going to do that this afternoon. But you will have decisions to make about your integrity that do have bearing. Not all deception is lying. Man, praise the Lord for the common graces of life. I began one of them yesterday. College football season is back on. It just brings me a, a particular joy to be able to spend some time on Saturday afternoon watching football. Well, I watched some football yesterday. And at one point, quarterback in this game throws to the tight end. The tight end catches it behind the line of scrimmage. 
and he has a wide open field. It's just the safety in him, between him and the goal line. He comes up to the safety, I kid you not, and he acted like he was going to go right, and then he went left. He deceived that safety. Did he lie? Is that lying? Should he have come after the touchdown and said, listen, I just want to ask your forgiveness because I deceived you and my conscience is really heavy. Of course not. Certain board games have a, a deception element to it. Is that lying? Well, it's more nuanced than that. Lou Priolo actually helps us with that very carefully. Listen very carefully. He says, quote, Deception involves deliberately communicating to another person something that one does not believe to be true. The dictionary defines the verb lie as, quote, to make an untrue statement with the intent to deceive, end quote. He goes on to say, so when you intentionally express something outwardly that contradicts that which you judge to be true inwardly, you are deceiving. You're still thinking about that football illustration, aren't you? Well, he goes on and says, deception is deliberately misleading another who has neither been informed of one's intentions to mislead nor requested to be misled. I know this sounds a little odd, but when you play football, you agree to deception. You agree to that. I was watching a bit of the Royals game yesterday, and I do do more than watch sports on Saturday. Um, and uh, th this one pitcher had an amazing changeup. You know what a changeup is? It's a deceptive pitch. That rascal pitcher actually throws with the full force of this throwing arm speed. And if it's a circle changeup, he has three fingers, so it slows down the delivery. So it looks like he's throwing a fastball, but it's really slower. Well, did he sin? No, no, no. When you step in a batter's box, you have given him the permission to play that game. So I just want to be clear that, you know, before someone comes up and says, Rick, you said all deception is wrong. What about faking left and going right? Come on. You agreed to that when you got on the field. That's not lying. That's not deception. Then he says, uh, as is in the case of actors, I mean, if someone pretends to be Winston Churchill on a movie, do you go, oh, that dude lied for two hours. Complete lie. I mean, there's no lack of integrity. I will never watch that actor again because every time he acts, he pretends to be somebody he's not. Come on. You agreed to that when you watched the film Illusionist. Love watching Illusionist. They make that lady float and they put that ring over them. And all of us know that she's not really living. At least I hope all of us know. If not, the prayer room will be open and we can talk about this at the end. Everyone knows that lady's not floating. The whole time we're thinking, how did he do that, right? That's an agreement that you have with the illusionist that this is, this is the game we're playing. That's not lying and that's not deception, Paul's command here to lay aside all falsehood is built on the solid biblical case that lying maliciously is hateful to God. Proverbs 16, verse 6, verse 16. 
Solomon says there are six things which six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven. And that's not to think say he got confused. He's using that for emphasis. It's more than six. It's actually seven. And then he gives a list of things that the Lord hates, which are an abomination to God, a, a haughty eyes, pride, a lying tongue. And then a few verses later in verse 19, he says, he says and a false witness who utters lies. So of the seven things that God hates, two of them are lying. That's pretty profound. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. An abomination to the Lord. He hates it. Proverbs, excuse me, Psalm 5, 6. You destroy those who speak falsehood. Those who speak falsehood are in the target of God's wrath, anger. Proverbs 13, 5. A righteous man, now it's us, hates falsehood. So God hates falsehood, and a righteous man also hates falsehood. Lying, hates falsehood. By the way, we could be here the rest of the day and on to tomorrow if we just studied what the book of Proverbs says about lying, and I would encourage you to do that. That's a worthy study. I do find it interesting that when Paul quotes the Old Testament about lying, he goes to Zechariah and not Proverbs. We'll get that in just a moment. But it's a worthy study. And you can look up any Google search on the internet and say, uh, lying in the book of Proverbs, and you will have dozens of verses you can plow through. Also remember that the prohibition against lying made the Ten Commandments. It's the Ninth Commandment, not to bear false witness. Jesus identifies the source of lying in John 8, verse 44. He talks about those who were against him and against God. You are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father, he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. There's the idea of truth. Whenever he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He says, you do the deeds of your father, the devil. He's a liar. Therefore, if you lie, you are demonstrating your spiritual lineage goes not to God the Father, but to the devil, to Satan. That's heavy. John tells us in Revelation 21, I think the most terrifying reality and truth about lying. This is the description of those who go to hell. Quote, Revelation 21.8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's hell. You know, my mom used to say when I was a young kid, and, and I, I used to kind of roll my eyes at thinking she was being dramatic. If I said a lie or a mistruth, she'd say, Ricky, liars go to hell. I'm like, come on, mom, don't be so dramatic. That's not being dramatic. That's being biblical. And that's in the itemized list of those who go 
to eternal separation from God. If lying is such a big deal, then we should have a grip on what it is. Again, our friend Lou Priolo organizes the following lists, list of the different ways we lie. There are 20 of them, so I'm not going to take a lot of time with this. But just listen. <laughs> There's a lot of ways that we lie. An outright lie, you say it's red when it's really green. You know what an outright lie is? Inference or insinuation that's minimizing and maximizing certain details to deceive. Concealment. Like when Herod said to the three wise men, where is the Christ that I can go worship him? He was concealing his real motive, withholding certain elements of the truth. Blame shifting. The first blame shifter was Adam. What have you done? The woman you gave me gave me this fruit. Then the I don't know lie. God said to Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. I don't know. You ask your son, your daughter, who, who hit the table and, that, and, the, and, and the lamp is now on the floor broken? Who did that? I don't, I don't know. It's a mystery. Making commitments with no intention to keep them? Wow. I'll pray for you. And you don't? Parents, Telling your kids there will be consequences for something and there are no consequences, that's a lie. Slandering, that's tail-bearing, making up something for the detriment of someone, having a hidden agenda, manipulating, that can be lying, fabricating, verbalizing suspicions or false conclusions, diversion, partial truth, exaggeration. Uh, we over and understate things. Covering up past sins, kidding, teasing, joking. We're going to come back to this in chapter 5, verse 4. But Proverbs 26, 18 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, Was I not joking? Just kidding. JK. He goes on, verbal and body language lies. Son, why did you do that to your sister? We can lie with our shoulders. Claiming to be close to God while continuing in sin, that's a lie. Giving the appearance of one emotion to cover up the existence of another. Planting or fabricating evidence. And then he says acting. Remember, remember when David acted crazy? That's lying. Lying is way too easy and commonplace. Let me just ask you a couple of, a couple of questions you ever do sketchy things with your taxes that are not entirely true? Parents, do you lie to your children? Listen, if you say something like this, if you don't obey, I'm going to spank you. And 10 minutes later, I told you, if you don't obey, I'm going to spank you. And 10 minutes later, I told you, if you don't, you've been lying to your child. How about returning an item to a store where you did not buy the item from? That's a lie. Hey, I'll pay you back tomorrow with no attention. Oh, how about this one? You have a difficult conversation or you need to make a difficult phone call and hey, why didn't you call? Oh, my phone died. How about this one? I'm five minutes away. Traffic is terrible as you're going 90 miles an hour down the freeway. 
can't come to work today. I'm, have you told that lie before? Sick. (laughs) The dog ate my homework. That's the fun one. My work was almost done. My homework was right there. I was about to print it, and my computer died. It was resurrected the next day, but it died. How about this? You're pulled over, and the officer says, do you know how fast you were going? No! You know what? As soon as you saw his lights in your rearview mirror, where was your, where was your attention fixed? You looked immediately at your speedometer. You knew exactly how fast you were going. No, I don't know. My speedometer's broken. It's been acting up lately. It registers, I don't know, 30 miles an hour faster than I'm going. And then the ultimate lie. Some of you probably need to seek forgiveness for this one. You, you say something like, mushrooms are delicious. Such a lie. Seriously, why do we lie? We only lie for two reasons. There's only two reasons that you lie. The first is to get what you want, to get something you want. It could be material gain, appreciation, friendship. It's to get something. You lie in order to get something that you think you won't get if you're honest. The other side is you lie to avoid something you don't want to experience, and you think, if I lie, I can avoid the consequences. And the solution is to calibrate our desires to be in accordance to what God wants for us and from us, which is to be tellers of the truth. And that brings us to number two, the second simple commitment for a life of integrity. Forsake all falsehoods. Number two, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. And if you have a New American Standard, that's in small caps, which indicates it's an Old Testament quote. Paul's not telling his readers to be truthful in a vacuum. He's quoting the Old Testament prophet Zechariah in chapter 8. That whole chapter gives a vision of God with his characteristic truthfulness as the connective tissue of the community of faith. The community of faith was to be characterized by truth and truth-telling. Zechariah 8.3, Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. Truthfulness will be so much a part of that city, it's going to be called the city where people will tell the truth, the, the truth city. Zechariah 8.8, 8. I will bring them back. They will live in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. By the way, that word truth can mean faithfulness and truthfulness. And then what Paul quotes is Zechariah 8, 16. These are the things you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Speak truthfulness to one another. Now, he's not just talking about biblical truth. The context is don't lie, so tell the truth. And then in Zechariah 8, 19, thus says the Lord of hosts, talking about these different fasts they were to do, the fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. So then he tells them, love, truth, and peace. He's using Zechariah's text to leverage 
our truth-telling. Just as the community of faith in the Jews was to be a community where truth was told, the same way, even more so, the community of Christians of Christ, the church, should be. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3, verse 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. You want to have a good reputation with God? You want to have a good reputation of man? Be a man or woman of integrity who tells the truth. Proverbs 12, 19, truthful lips will be established forever. But a lying tongue is only for a moment. So your reputation, your integrity, your life, your believability, your trustworthiness is built on you telling the truth. Telling the truth or speaking the truth means we value truth-telling more than we value what we would get or lose by lying. It really goes back to our values. Now, footnote, it is not loving to put someone in the position of truth-telling that's awkward or tempts them to lie. It's so easy to do. How about this? Um, you know, I was just wondering, maybe you could tell me, um, are you planning a birthday party, a surprise birthday party for me? Well, they're either going to lie or, or blow the secret. D don't ask. This is one that someone in my house has told before whose name might rhyme with Rick. Hey, you know that, that thing I wanted for Christmas? I, I mean, have you gotten that? Because if you hadn't, you know, I could probably get that for myself for Christmas. And that doesn't go well with Mrs. Holland. <laughs> she said, don't ask questions around Christmas. I, I can't even ask what's for dinner beginning December 1. I mean, I, I am blocked from asking every question. How about this one? Does this suit make me look tall? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I planted that answer. <laughs> I'm short. I know it doesn't. Why would I ask that question? So don't, don't ask questions that tempt people to send. Just a little footnote on how we can love one another. The point here is that putting on the new you, putting on the new man, means cultivating a life of integrity built on trustworthiness as a truth teller. You tell the truth. And the surest way not to lie is to tell the truth. Now, I know that there's a lot of nuances. I mean, uh, I, I, it's a whole course in ethics that will answer the things around the edges of this. For example, in, in 1 Samuel 16, remember that uh, uh, Samuel um, informs Saul the kingdom is going to be taken from him. It's going to be given to a young man, which later in chapter 16 you find out is David. And so um, uh, um, Samuel knows he's in trouble, and so he needs to go and talk to Saul. And, and he says, well, what, if I, what, what do I say? And God says, well, take a heifer, take a cow, and go offerings. If someone's asked you why you're there, just say, I'm here to offer sacrifice, which you are. So God says sometimes telling everything you know, I mean, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing truth is, 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 is what you say on the witness stand. 
So there are lots of nuances we can talk about and have a great discussion about, but the, those are not where we usually get in trouble. <laughs> where we get in trouble is just knowing what we should say and we say something different. Well, thirdly, this is very simple and very quick, and this is the rest of the book, so we don't have to spend much time here. Re-emphasize your relationships. Here's what's striking to me. When Paul says, don't lie and tell the truth, his primary context for that command is the church, is the believers that you fellowship with. Look at the last phrase in verse 25. For we are members of one another. We studied in Romans and 1 Corinthians this phrase, members, many times. It means a body part. We are body parts of the body of Christ with each other. One of no, we are members of one another. A foundation, truth in Ephesians and the New Testament, theologically and practically, also gives us a keen insight that Paul is concerned about our integrity being demonstrated first and foremost within the church, with each other. By the way, in the parallel passage in Colossians 3, Paul commands against lying, and he, there he adds the familiar phrase, one another. Do not lie to one another. Another one of the one another's, don't lie. Don't lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self, with its evil practices. It aims our integrity at the body of Christ. He describes us as members, as connected, as a body is connected to itself and jointed to itself with one another. So if you lie to another Christian, you're actually engaging in a fight from your body within your own body. That's how silly the illustration is. It's absurd. Imagine if your eyes this afternoon... Communicate to your hands, because your hands have no eyes, and there's a signal that comes from your eyes to your brain and through your hands, and the signal is this to your hands. There is a delicious piece of apple pie in front of you on the table. Cut it and bring it to the mouth. Your hands reach out. They take the knife. They take the fork. And they saw into... <laughs> tablecloth because there's nothing there. Now, you should be saying, Rick, that's like a stupid illustration. It's really not. Would your eyes ever tease and tempt your hands to do something that was a detriment to your body? You said, that's silly. That's the point. We're members of one another. We work together. We work for each other. Paul is saying that it is illogical, it is unreasonable for a body part to lie to another, and it should be the same for you to lie to anyone else in this body. Illogical. Makes no sense. And now, of course, we should not lie to an unbeliever. I mean, that'll ruin our testimony. It's almost like Paul saying, that's a given. But the people we spend the most time with and the people we're most accountable to and for are, are members of the body of Christ or with each other. That's where our integrity should shine the brightest. I think it's interesting. Look down on the page, chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. 
Be like God. What does Paul say in Titus chapter 1, verse 1? Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie. He can't lie, promised long ages ago. So if we're to imitate God and God cannot lie, drum roll, we should not either. Proverbs 19, 9, a false witness will not go unpunished. And he who tells lies will perish. In my study this week, I came across some words from Richard Baxter, Puritan who was such a caregiver to souls. And he says, really, the heart of lying is man-pleasing. These are his words. Richard Baxter, fear God more than man if you would not be liars. The excessive fear of man is a common cause of lying. It is what makes children so apt to lie to escape the rod and puts most people who are overly sensitive to being hurt in danger of lying and in order to avoid the displeasure of others. So why do you not fear God more, he says? His displeasure is unspeakably more terrible. Your parents or master will be angry and threaten to correct you, but God threatens to damn you. His wrath is a consuming fire. No man's displeasure can reach your souls and extend into eternity. Will you run to hell to escape punishment on earth? Can I read that again? Will you run to hell to escape punishment on earth? Will you lie for what's on earth, which will land you in eternal torment? Remember, whenever you are tempted to escape any danger by a lie, that you run a thousandfold greater danger, that no hurt that you escape by a lie can possibly be half so great as the hurt it will cause. It is as foolish, of course, as to cut, as to cure the toothache by cutting off the head. End quote. Paul says, lay aside all falsehood. He doesn't say, check to see if you have any. Do you, can you recognize dimensions of your life that include overstating, understating, failed promises? And the answer should be all of us, all of us, myself included, can say, yeah, I can, I can see that. Will you lay it aside? Will you lay it aside? We're not given an option. Those who know the gospel, who believe that Jesus died for our sins instead of us and for us, that he rose from the dead to give us hope for eternity, who waits and prays for us now, those of us who believe the good news that God saves through his son, should walk as Jesus walked and imitate God who cannot lie. Identification and repentance. A lot to talk about with your spouse, with your kids, with your care group. 
Let's be those new yous who lay aside the old lying, put on the new truth-telling, because we love each other. We care about each other.